The word of the Lord out of Psalm 1 NLT version says this. It says, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with scoffers, but they delight in doing everything the Lord wants. Day and night they think about his law, his instruction. They're like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season without fail. Their leaves never wither, and all that they do, they prosper. The word of the Lord. Well, hello. If we haven't met before, my name is Sarah, and I get to be one of the associate pastors here at Calvary Young Adults, and I'm glad to be with you guys tonight. Tonight, I get to talk about something that we bring every week, and that's the word of God. But something special about tonight is that I get to help envision us for what this church family sees for the next eight years. And we're specifically how we as a people of God want to deliberately elevate our love for the word of God. Because you see, just like Psalm 1 says, there is blessing for those who delight in the word of the Lord. And as Brian Howard spoke about last week, we as followers of Jesus, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, are commanded to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. We see this in Acts 2.42, just like we looked at last week. This is really the birth of the church as we know it. And in short, this means we're to be devoted to the word of God, because in this book, we see witness and testimonies to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the reason that we gather in this room today. But before we dive into a picture of what it looks like, I just want to pause and focus on this word devotion, because as Psalm 1 encourages us, like blessed, which means happy, is the one who delights in the word of God. But tonight, I just want to offer us this, that devotion is the catalyst that marries the knowledge of God with the delight in his person and his presence. In other words, devotion is the catalyst for delight. So um, I just want to say, as I was preparing this, I wanted to go to the word. I wanted to go to the Greek word for delight, because oftentimes we look back on the original language, and English doesn't really like pack in all there is, especially when through translations through the text. So I found this word for delight, and it's proskaterio, proskaterio. And as I type proskaterio into my computer again and again, it just kept correcting to proskater again and again and again. And I thought, you know, okay, just track with me. I was like, I would be withholding from you if I did not show you this nice little visual I came up with to help us represent this. So uh, you can put it on the screen. Um, If you don't remember, this is a Tony Hawk. So he's actually one of the best skaters of all time, pro skaters. This might be like a little bit over some of your heads. I feel old right now, but... He devoted his life to becoming the best at his craft. So he's up there with like Kelly Slater, if you're into surfing, it's like around the same era, yes, Kelly Slater. So when we think about someone who's devoted to something, I think of pro athletes because they give their lives, they give relationships, they give their time, money, their bodies to something. And it's a sacrifice. And I think it's actually really fitting to combine these words together with this picture because this is what proskaterio means. It means to steadfastly be attentive to to give unremitting care to a thing, to persevere and not be faint, to show oneself courageous for, and to be in constant readiness for. So when we're called to be devoted to the apostles' teaching, when we're called to be devoted to the word of God, this is actually what we're called to do. And you see, as shepherds, we open the word of God every week, here faithfully on this stage, after a week where we have gone before the Lord, we've had careful study and submission to the Spirit, But this is what I know to be true. Like if we, if like Pastor Brian Williams, Pastor Brian Howard, myself, Pastor Sean Thornton, if we lose our devotion, our constant care, 
attention and perseverance and readiness when it comes to the study and presenting of the word of God, we will not have only withheld your good, but will withheld God's glory in presenting it to you. Because you cannot have true knowledge of God without devotion to him, without a dedication to him, without spending time being courageous enough to continue to examine the word of God. And the same is true for you. Like if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, I just want to acknowledge, like I know not everyone in this room is like there yet. You're like, I'm on for Jesus. I love his word. I trust his word. And that's okay. Like I just want to invite you then to be a careful observer of tonight. Because we as followers of Jesus have this high call and command. And I just want us to be ready to listen to what the word of God actually has to say about those who carefully examine it. Because even though we stand up here and we have a mantle, we actually have a mandate that we who preach the word of God will stand before God at the end of our lives and be held accountable for every word that we say. Even though that's a high responsibility, if you call yourself a son or daughter of God, we have the same responsibility to be devoted, to be careful observers and listeners when it comes to the word of God. So as we look at this, there's just three kind of like overview statements that will be a natural outflow, a natural result of our individual and collective devotion to God's word. This is what it will reveal. The first is this, the character of Jesus. Like if you've been around Calvary for more than like a couple weeks, you're going to hear this phrase. It's that we exist to make disciples that live and love like Jesus. But who are we following if we don't know who they actually are, what they're about, their character? And the word of God from Genesis to Revelation will reveal who Christ is and who he came to be for us. The second of, of it is God's game plan. Like if you're curious about who this God is, what he's up to, what he's all about, it's in the word of God. He gave us his very words. He gave us accounts and testimonies of the who, those who walked with Christ, who've heard from the voice of God before us. And thirdly, we get to examine our purpose, like both in the meta-narrative way of like, why am I here? What am I supposed to do? But also like tonight, like tonight here, like in my 20s, in my early, like late teens, early 20s, late 20s, as a college student, as someone who's in the workplace, as someone who's trying to figure out like, what is my purpose? These are all found in the word of God. And the word of God will actually put supernatural energy and understanding to what it means to be and make disciples live in love like Jesus, which again is the literal banner of this church. Like literally, if you walked in our church, it's on the outside of our church. But what good is a banner if we don't know how to carry it? And what good is a banner if we don't know what we're celebrating? So let's open the word of God together, shall we? You can turn to Acts 17. We're going to be camping out in verses 1 through 20. And I'm just going to give you a brief overview of kind of the first nine verses and who we're going to find in this first section is a man named Paul. And if you're unfamiliar with who Paul is, I'm just giving you like a little overview. So Paul used to be named Saul. And he was born of Pharisees, which were the like religious elite of the time, the Jewish people. That when Jesus came, they really gave him the most opposition because Jesus didn't come as they wanted him to come. They were more concerned about appearance of righteousness than actual holiness or righteousness. They wanted Christ to come as the strong king that would just uphold and then overcome the Roman Empire and set them free in that moment. But when Christ came, he actually came as a servant. He cared more about the state of our hearts, our inward holiness, to make all things right there first and not just invite the Jewish people into this new promise and hope, but all people, Jew, Greek, Gentile. And this really rubbed the Pharisees the wrong way. Saul's upbringing, but not only that, but as he grew up, he actually became a man who would persecute Christians. 
So he made it kind of his life goal and mission to go around and kill those who are in opposition to the Jewish faith. And one day God meets him in this miraculous moment where he loses his sight and God speaks to him. And in speaking to him, he's changed for the Lord. He is and presence and glory of God. And God restores that day forward, Saul becomes Paul, and his life mission, instead of persecuting Christian now, comes to this place of wanting to share the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ is the Messiah that the Jewish people have been waiting for. So we find him here. He's on this mission. He's just going from town to town, synagogue to synagogue, because instead of running away from the very people he used to stand shoulder to shoulder persecuting Christians with, he actually went back into their temple courts because he wanted to share the good news that God had revealed to him. So this is where we find Paul. He's somewhere in Macedonia. And in verse one, it says this. When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. So again, this is gonna be his MO. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. He says, this Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. Again, he is going back to the very people who actually said crucify Jesus, right? Because if we remember when Christ was brought before Pontius Pilate and the Roman government, he found no fault in him. He said, I have no reason to condemn this man. So he looked to the Jewish authorities, the elite, the rabbis, and said, what should I do? And they're the ones who actually sent him to the cross. So again, he's going back and saying, no, the Messiah, the Savior you've been waiting for is actually Jesus Christ crucified and now risen from the dead. Goes on to say in verse four, some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas. So some of them were like, wait, this actually resonates. Like, this makes sense. But then it says this, and I think this is really cool. It says, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. Because what we're going to see in Paul's mission time and time again is that it's actually more common that those who are not Jewish came to Christ. So like the Greeks and the Gentiles and the Romans. And I love here that he points out, the author of Acts, Luke says, and a quite a few prominent women. Why does he say that? Because at the time in the ancient Near East, women did not have a lot of power. They didn't hold really high positions in society. They weren't really influential, or they, they were influential, but they didn't have power. They weren't educated, but what they did have was influence. And in that Roman household, especially when it came to their husbands and their children, these women that were being converted were actually taking their influence and they were bringing their families along with them. So it's very miraculous and cool, actually, that he's making this account saying, you know, some Jews came, but so did these God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But then verse 5 tells us, but other Jews were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace and formed a mob and started to riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house. Now, Jason is just an ally. He's a fellow believer. And search for Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. So again, just like Christ was crucified, he died a criminal in the eyes of the Roman government. Paul and Silas and the believers who are followers of Jesus are also being treated as criminals. Their homes are being raided. The Jews are literally finding ruffians from the local ports and being like, let's go riot to get them out of our town. Part of it, they're afraid of any pushback from the Roman Empire, but they are also just threatened by this good news of the gospel because it was going to rewrite everything. It's going to rewrite everything for them. Verse 6 tells us, 
But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials shouting, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They're all defying Caesar's degrees, saying that there is another king, the one called Jesus. Again, when Jesus was crucified, what hung over his cross was Jesus, king of the Jews. The gospel was threatening, even though he didn't come to overturn the government, but he did come to bring people back to the realization that there is one true God, there is one true Lord, and he does ask for our devotion. But they're threatened. Even Christ has already risen. But it says they're defying Caesar's decree, saying there's another king, another one called Jesus. So when they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. So they're just losing their minds at this point. And they made Jason and others post bond and let them go. Again, this is like criminal activity. But just like the Jewish people who cried, crucify Jesus, these people would rather partner with their worldly oppressors, the Greco-Roman Empire, than submit to King Jesus. And I think this just brings up this point, at least in my mind, that's really, like, it confronts my heart. And it's this, is do we value the gospel enough to see it proclaimed at any cost? Because, like, in our lifetime, like, at least in the near future, like, we might not live in a place where we're going to come up against persecution like Paul did, where he was literally, chapters before, thrown into prison, had a miraculous, like, angelic encounter, and could have been released but stayed so the guard wouldn't be killed. Like, he is in jail every other chapter (laughs) in his own writings. That's not our reality. And I'm uncomfortable sometimes to talk to, like, the lady at the grocery store about Jesus or to ask a fellow believer if I could pray for them. Like, this should confront us because we sacrifice, like Brian said, for the things that we love. So what is it for you? Like, what's the cost? Is it rejection? Like, is it comfort? Is it being wrong? You see, I honestly, like going through that list, I think what can scare us away the most, especially in this climate, um, is the act, like acting with confidence or boldness because there's a gap of uncertainty. Like we're presented with this book and you can sit with it all day long and find like these incredible meta narratives and these like lines of truth. You're like, oh my gosh, this is true from beginning to end. And then you'll get stuck because you're like, wait, this is actually so much more rich and complex as if it's like, as if I'm not God and that, a divine being gave us this, right? But what I've found about the truths that we hold in faith, and all truths we hold, we hold in faith, whether they're the truths of the scriptures or not, is that the things that we end up standing on are the things that we're willing to be wrong about. The things we're willing to put to God and others and be held for. Because I've questioned so many things about the word of God and the character of God. And some things that I'm still wrestling through. But one thing I've decided wholeheartedly that I'm willing to stand before God and others and say, I can be complete. Gap between myself and a creator God. And he sent his only son, Jesus, to step down and bridge that gap for me. Paying a price that I could not pay. Living a perfect life. Dying. Rising on the third day so that I can have life in the spirit now into eternity. And I will put all my weight into that. You might not be there yet. But you know, someone sharing the word of God with me, living it in their hearts and living out a spirit-filled life. Like I'm standing here today preaching this good news to you as a result of the people of God being devoted to this investigation and lived experience of the word of God that now is my pursuit. And you know what? 
we end up seeing the same posturing lead others who could have been in opposition to the gospel to a place of search and surrender. As we continue on in verse 10, it says this, as soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went where? To the Jewish synagogue. He's very consistent. Um, For my visual learners out there, we have a map. (laughs) If you're like, where are these places? Um, It's kind of like modern day Greece. So he starts up in Philippi, he goes to Thessalonica, and now he's in Berea, right? So he's kind of making his way down the coast. Oh, I'm sorry, did I bump my microphone? (laughs) Whoops. So they make their way down to the next city. So they're just moving from city to city, from synagogue to synagogue. And it says this in verse 11, now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see what, if, what Paul had said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. Okay, so what does this mean? What does it mean that these Jewish people were of more noble character? So looking into this, there's actually kind of like a two-part meaning. The first is this. When it talks about noble character, they're actually talking about rank, like a social rank. So here in this part of the Greco-Roman world, these Jewish people actually had a higher rank than other regions. So they were trusted. They were more established. They had more influence. But then we see this other part. And I love that Luke points this out, right? Because again, when Christ came, we see him dwelling with the marginalized, with the sinners, with the tax collectors, with those of very low status in society. And we, as the people of God, are called to do the same. But what Luke is pointing out here is that the gospel of Christ is for everyone, every rank, every walk of life. But he's also praising the Bereans because of this, that with great eagerness, they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. So let's go back to the uncertainty gap, where instead of rejecting the words of Paul, the Berean Jews leaned into the word of God. Because at the time, like sometimes we forget about this, they really only had the Old Testament scriptures because this is like an extension of the gospel. Like the gospel and Acts, the beginning of the church right now is being lived out and recorded. So they had to go back to the Old Testament and examine if this lines up with what Paul is saying about the good news of this Messiah. And can I just say, like, what we can learn from the Bereans right here is that it's normal to question and to doubt. Like, I'd actually encourage you to carefully observe and question the scriptures. But just know this, that examination is not in opposition to devotion, In fact, if you've ever cared for something or someone, you might recall how devotion is shown through a curiosity and a commitment to that topic or person. And like, I'm just gonna be a little vulnerable here, but this was my experience. Like when I actually go to seminary, I'm like, I knew there were different schools of thought on women in ministry and there still are. And they knew I had this kind of burning desire in my heart and a searching out of scripture. And instead of just cherry picking what I liked or to say, God, how could you possibly hold these truths in tension? God brought me to a place of submitting to him, of wanting to know his heart and his desire than my own. And I'm so glad that I did it. It was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do because here's the thing, more than the answers that we want, we should want the heart of God to be revealed to us in all truth because his word will hold up. It will hold up. 
So going to the Bereans, like, we can ask ourselves, like, why were they so receptive to the word of God? What motivated their receptivity? Like, is it that they had just survived a war in northern Greece? Is it the fact that they are under Roman oppression and they're waiting for this hope, this new king, this new savior? And ultimately, we are left to wonder. But I love this question that my friend, Pastor Dick Thompson, asks, and he says this. How would you, how would we rate our receptivity to taking your love and curiosity for God's word to the next level? Like in other words, what questions are you currently asking about God's word? Is it about the character of God that can seem so drastically different from Old Testament to New Testament? Like on surface level, sometimes it's like, how does that add up? Is it about the divinity of Jesus? Like how can he be fully man, fully God? Or the Trinity where like we worship one God, but they're kind of three in one. Is it in regards to gender roles or sexual ethic? Is it about social order or justice or power? See, I don't want to entice you into a theological snare or unnecessary worry. But what I do want to do is motivate us to press in. Like we sing this week after week, higher, deeper, wider now. We declare these things with our mouths. But I want to ask us, like, are we to commit with our actions? Because these things can deter us. Or even dare I say, bored, God, that's okay. In fact, this is one of the key areas, like as a church over the next eight years, we want to be a church that hones in on how to walk with the disillusioned. Those of us in this community or outside this community that are wrestling with the church cuss word that is deconstruction, right? Like Samara left the room because they were like, oh no, I still never to do that or never to say that or I'm in that place right now. Because quite simply, like the Berean Jews had to do some deconstruction, faith that they were raised in, of the words and maybe cultural norms that were imposed on them, and their previous view of God and the Messiah to see how God's ways and wisdom were so much higher. So it's not just words on a page. Like this isn't just some sterile text to like put under a microscope, right? It's, there's no formula that's gonna like give you a yes or no answer because the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than two of any double-edged sword, which means it's gonna cut to the marrow and truth of any matter we take before it. As my friend Krista says all the time, truth will stand against truth. Truth will have the final say. And to quote Pastor Dick Thompson just one last time, one thing we know for sure is that we have the opportunity to go to the next level in our love for God's word when we become dissatisfied with the level that we're on now. See, some of you may be discouraged because we've become bored in our devotional time. This is your invitation to go deeper. Most of us will get to a place of doubt and questioning this rich but complex word. And instead of becoming disillusioned or walking away, this is your invitation to press in and to go deeper. After all, disciple means learner. Like if we call ourselves a disciple of Jesus, we are a learner of him. And that is a lifelong goal and task. As Pastor Sean shared this weekend, we cannot claim active Christianity if we are not willing to protect and grow our hunger for God. Protect and grow. Protect why? Because we have a live and active enemy. Like, don't you know? Like, we do not face an enemy in the flesh. We face an enemy in the spirit who would love nothing more than to disillusion us, to allow the competing voices and narratives that we're surrounded by day in and out to just combine with those lies that kind of sound like truth but really aren't, 
take us to places we never thought we would go. I want us to be a people that we're so acquainted with truth, that we're not just taking anything in that goes past our eyes or our ears, that we have something to compare it to and say, actually, that doesn't add up. I'm gonna go back to my foundation. Even if like the next thing I'm not so sure about, I'm gonna go back to the last thing I'm sure about in the word of God. And why grow? Bless you. Grow because these deposits of wisdom and understanding are made fruitful by a careful nourishing and attention. Guys, this is not automatic. This is not something we go to the word of God once and we're like, great, we're called to hide the word of God in our hearts. We're called to meditate on it day and night. Again, we sacrifice for the things we love. We make time for the things that we love. I love the way Basil Pennington puts it. He says this, when we come to the Lectio, which is the word, the most important thing is our desire. The Lord will reveal himself and enter into our lives to the extent which we believe this is really possible and that we want it. He never pushes the door open. He waits for us to open it. This is what we do in our lectio, in our study. We open the door of our mind and our heart for him to enter in, and he will. And he will. That's the promise. That's incredible. Like, he will do it. He will meet us in our study of his word. But okay, for your practical people in the room, I'm going to meet you where you're at too. How do we do this? How do we actually elevate our love for God's word when the desire maybe isn't there initially? Um, let's start maybe with the things that are standing in the way. I'm just going to offer a few things. I'm going to let the Spirit of God work this out in your heart, but these have been all true for me in my life. The first is this, um, lack of vision. Like, do you have vision for when you spend time in the Word of God? Or are you just sitting there and you're like, well, I'm supposed to do this to be a good Christian? That is not a good enough answer. That will fail you. Because as we said at the beginning of this series, out of the Proverbs, without vision, we will perish. Like my old discipler and small group leader always said, vision is like having this bucket with a hole in the bottom. So the more you pour in, it's just constantly leaking and leaking and leaking because we're kind of like goldfish and we forget things, right? Like we need vision. We need to be refilling our vision buckets. Whether it's lack of vision, is it distractions? Like I'll be honest, like I cannot spend time with God with my cell phone anywhere near me. And I use it to wake up in the morning. So I have to like wake up, unplug it, throw it across my bed. And like, that's the reason I wear like a digital watch. Like if you've ever been like, oh, that's so cute and trendy. No, it's because like I am not responsible enough to have an Apple watch. Like my parents gifted me one for Christmas this year and I had to be like, I'm so sorry. I feel convicted. I'm just going to buy this Casio watch, but like I'll exchange it for something. And they're like, that's not how this works. So um, <laughs> love you, mom and dad. But I, I bought my $25 Casio watch and it's made a huge difference. Like I don't even have to check the time and then find myself in a Facebook like rabbit hole. This next one's going to like cut a little deep with some people, but if it's not distraction, like, is it just laziness? Like, honestly, like, as we get older, we need to mature in discipline. It's something that we're called to as believers. And I'm not saying that, like, gosh, like, I'm not really trying to be up here and, like, shame anyone for anything. But I do want to say that as we were talking about, like, what it means to spend time in the Word of God, um, we're talking to Brian Howard, and he said something really beautiful, and he said this. Like, when we think about different habits in our lives, the, the Word of God is really, like, a keystone habit. It's a habit where, like, when we place that as, like, a cornerstone in our life, things cascade from it. Things waterfall from it. So if you're like, man, I actually want to become a more disciplined per person, like, making time to be in the Word of God is actually going to affect other areas of your life. Like, it's going to affect who you are at work, in your relationships. 
Like, this is a transformative habit, an atomic habit, if you will. But everything can flow from this. Next, if it's not laziness, is it doubt? Like I said, it is not bad to doubt. It is not bad to question, but do not let it become your prison. Because when we let it become our prison, suddenly we get so discouraged that we forget that there actually is a way out. That when the word of God says in Psalm 119, it is actually a light, a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It can guide us forward. Don't forget that. Don't let it become a prison. Lastly, is it isolation? I think sometimes in the Christian faith, we hear a lot like, but, the, but it's like private. Like, my, you know, like my, my walk with Jesus is personal. Like, let it be intimate. There are things that like should just be between you and the Lord. There should be this sacred space that you consecrate with him. But when we spend time in the word of God, but never take it into our lives, never let it transform us, never let it go out into the world as it was meant to, to transform not only us, but those around us, like we're withholding. We are withholding from others and actually ties a little bit back into this whole idea. Like when you're wrestling with the word of God, don't keep it to yourself. Like don't keep it in the vacuum of your own minds. Like go to others who are eagerly, earnestly seeking what it means to protect their hunger and their growth in the word. Kind of brutal, but here's the reality. We have to face reality and sacrifice for the things we love. Because funny enough, this is actually how we grow in affection for things, through proximity, through undivided attention, and the same is true of God. So let's move on to some positive practical, shall we? Um, first, like know your why. We talked about lacking vision. Know your why. Why do you go to the word of God? Is it because that you want to join in this vision of deliberately elevating your love for the word of God? Awesome. Write it down. Pray it over yourself when your flesh is opposing you. When you wake up and you're like, I just don't feel it. Pray it over yourself. Write it down. Is it because you want to know the character of God? Is it because you want to know your purpose? Write it down. Pray it over yourself. Get a game plan. Are you a morning person? Awesome. Me too. Are you an evening person? Great. Do you like the middle of the day? Perfect. There are enough hours in the day for you to pick one and spend time with God. There just are. And like there are days where five minutes can be just as powerful as an hour. But guys, like don't let me even put a time frame on it write it down, like put it in your Google planner. That's what I have to do. Write it, get like a physical planner if that's more your style. Because here's the thing, like how would you schedule time with a friend? How would you schedule time to get that important project done for school or work? You make time for the things that you care about. And again, like if this is something you're working on, that's amazing because these habits are gonna transform and just flow over into other areas of your life. But get a game plan. Thirdly, this is probably the most important one, but invite the spirit of God in. As Jake said earlier, if Jesus really is the word of God, then we are not just going to a piece of paper alone, but we are interacting with the presence of God that changes everything. And these are the words of the person that we devote our whole lives to. And they're not always straightforward. I'll say it, they're not always straightforward. So let's ask the spirit of God who tells us that he is counselor, that he has all wisdom to guide us into the truth of what the Lord is trying to say through his word. And from this, let's ask questions. Let's be people who ask questions, who ask hard questions, and then ask really simple, maybe seemingly stupid questions, right? And don't be intimidated if you don't have the answer. Like, don't let confusion win. The Lord tells us that he is a God not of confusion, but peace and a sound mind. And like, I will be a little vulnerable. I'm just gonna show you just like a little snippet of what it looks like for me to even plan a sermon. Um, 
for about every verse, I try to ask like two to four questions. And some of them are like really simple, like where's Berea? Like, I didn't know. Did you know? No. <laughs> like, what does it mean that they're brothers? Like, are they like blood brothers? Are they just like homies? You know, these things matter. They matter. And like, this is something that I had to learn time and time again to be just like ruthlessly like curious and like investigatory when I go to the word of God and never be above asking questions about scripture. I love what Jeremy Riddle said in his book, The Resize. The book I just finished, highly recommend it if you're like want to change your mind about worship or just grow deeper in your worship. But he says this, he says, if we're not willing to seek to know God for who he truly is, we will never be sure our worship is authentic. So if we're not taking the time to investigate God, like how do we know what we're singing is actually true, right? So with that, don't just ask questions, but seek answers. Like ask people you know who are also invested in living out the word of God, round up resources. Like for me, here's just like a few places I'm start. So we're gonna leave this up for a little bit. Um, their first one is this. So one of Calvary's things for the next eight years is like, we really wanna be without excuse when it comes to equipping people to know and love the word of God. So we've started putting resources together and one of them is calvarywestlake.org slash Bible. And this is just like a comprehensive resource where you can find a Bible reading plan. You can find links to like messages and plans for students. If you have someone younger in your life who wants to be in the Bible, there's 30-day reading plans, 90-day reading plans, year-long reading plans. Just pick one and start somewhere. And if you need accountability, like going to the gym, because a lot of us need that, ask someone to do it with you. You will be way more successful. Um, second thing on here, this is actually something I use every time I write a sermon. It's called the scripture study app. This is through Calvin Seminary. It's awesome because on the left hand of the page is the word in the original language. So it's Greek or Hebrew. And on the right side, it's in English and you could pick whatever translation you want, but you could hover over the words and it'll actually tell you the original meaning. So this is awesome because oftentimes when we translate things into English, surprise, we miss out on how rich and dynamic some of these words are. And it'll actually show you like how many times the word's been used in scripture. It'll cross-reference it to other places in the Bible. Like this has grown my hunger and curiosity for the Lord. And it's also actually helped my accuracy when I go to the word of God. Some others for you to explore, Blue Letter Bible app. This is great. You could search themes and topics. There's studies in there. Cross-reference Bible app. This will actually just help you find cross-references between different scriptures. It's awesome. And then for my visual and auditory learners, the Bible Project is awesome. If you're like, wow, I need to see it in order to understand it. This is something I look at before I study any chapter of the Bible. It will give you this visual illustration that's just like mesmerizing and explain the thematics. It will explain kind of some key points, key characters. It is so helpful and they have podcasts too. And they'll take like really complex issues and just break it down to like normal people language. And it's great. And then last but not least, I'm going to shout out to our bookstore, purchase a study Bible. Like if you're here on Sundays, purchase a study Bible. If you're like, I don't like interacting with people, purchase one off of Amazon because we just want to be a people without excuse. Like if you do not have a physical Bible or a study Bible, guys, it's going to be one of the best. I will say it will be the best investment you ever make. Because part of our 2030 initiative, along with walking with the dissolution, is that we want to resource our church and body to equip the saints, to grow people's ability, your ability to teach the word of God. Because as nice as it is that we get up and get to do this, and it's a, it's a high calling and responsibility, we want to equip our people as a church to go out in the world and know how to teach the word of God.
So I'll say this too, like, we're actually going to have Bible and reading guides in the back at our next steps table. Like, if you came in and you're like, I don't have a physical Bible, I just don't know where it is, like, go pick one up. We would love to give it. It's like our gift to you. There's also next steps in there. So if you're like, I'm new to all of this, I'm not sure, please pick one up. It would make me very glad. So lastly, don't do it alone. Don't do it alone. We talked about isolation don't do it alone. There's a reason that the word of God was presented in community, not in isolation. It's proclaimed in synagogues and marketplaces and public courts and street corners. It's deposited to the people of God to be worked out and lived together, just like us here now, not solely reliant on a preacher, but your own present relationship with the word of God. Ways to do this. We talk about small groups all the time, but this is a prime way to get around the word with other believers who might come from different places and spaces than you. And really to dive in, to ask questions together, to not even solely rely on your group leader to know everything, but say, hey, we're brothers and sisters seeking to know more, to protect our hunger and to grow in who God is. Let's do this together. But I'll also say this, like, is there someone in your life where you're like, I admire the way that you study scripture, connect with them. Set up times to talk with them. That's discipleship. It's just saying, let's go to the word of God and investigate it together and then live these things out if there's application. And really, like, this comes with a caveat, but some of the best, like, teachers I've had when it comes to topics that I'm curious about are podcasts, are people I've never met through podcasts, through books, like people who have different experiences than I've had, who come from different backgrounds than I, than I have, But my only caveat with this, because we're in this age of information, right? We're just getting overloaded by things, um, is don't, don't like replace the word of God with podcasts. Don't replace the word of God with books or other people's opinions. Like take it as a companion to your time in the word of God. And then ultimately, again, this is probably the most important thing. Do not neglect that the spirit of God goes with you every time you open the word of God. Because the spirit of God will lead you in all truth, always. So speaking of the word of God, let's get back to it because we're going to round this thing up. So you can open back up to Acts 17, find ourselves in verse 13. It says this, it says that when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God in Berea, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The believers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed in Berea. Those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left instructions for Silas and Timothy to join them as soon as possible. So again, for my visual learners, they're just like going down the coast. They're just going from city to next city because like, this is kind of nuts. Like the people in Thessalonica was like, we're heard, you're still preaching the gospel. Like we're going to come all the way down with these like random bad character strangers to like incite riots because that's how badly they do not want the gospel preached in their area. That is how threatened they feel by the word of God. And again, this is a reminder that our, as our love and affection for the word of God comes, we will invite opposition from the world, from the flesh, and from the devil. So what does Paul do? He's now down in Athens. It says, Paul was waiting for them in Athens, and he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogues, classic Paul, with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day, those who happened to be there. This is a man who is devoted. This is a man who is courageous and persistent and giving all that he has, even though he's like fleeing jail and possibly murder by mob. 
verse 18, it says, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. Then said this, because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So again, notice Paul's consistency. Everywhere he goes, he preaches the resurrection. He preaches the life of Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection again and again and again. In a world of confusion, of different philosophies, he is being clear again and again. And like, we can't miss this point. The gospel is going to be strange to the world. Like in the ancient Near East then, and in like 2022 today, it's gonna be strange to the world, and it's gonna be opposing to the flesh, to our flesh but natural to our soul and spirits. And these things are always gonna be in conflict. And we continue to see this. It says in verse 19, they took him and brought him to a meeting place of Aragopagus, where they said to him, may we know this new teaching that you're presenting? You're bringing some strange ideas to your ears and we would like to know what they mean. So if you've ever seen Hercules, you know exactly where this, this location is. This is the Parthenon. This is the hill below the Parthenon, which is this large pagan temple. So this is where, like, we're in Athens now. So this is like an epicenter of Greek mythology. Like, there are, te- there are literally, you'll see in the next chapter, like, gods, like, temples to unknown gods. Like, they're so obsessed with, like, we're not even sure what's out there. Like, let's just make an unknown one just in case. And who he's talking to actually really matters. So the Epicureans, the philosophy of the Epicureans is that they're all about pleasure. They have made pleasure their ultimate thing. That is the whole purpose of life. That is their pursuits. And then funny enough, the Stoics are like diametrically opposite. Like their whole thing is like they pride themselves and be able to like endure hardship and pain. Like they're the whole like throw me to the wolves and I'll become like the leader of the pack. Like they're like, we could do anything without pleasure. But they're like synced up somehow. But I think it's curious because as Brian often says, like these two groups of people have made a good thing the ultimate thing. And they've completely missed the mark. They crave new ideas and knowledge, but without any intent of devotion. And we'll see this. But like, does this sound familiar? Like in today's age where like we have like information gluttony, like we have so much information at our fingertips all the time. And we have to ask ourselves like to what end? Like to what end are we seeking And where are we seeking this information? Again, this comes from Jeremy Riddle's book, Theresa. I just love this. He says, he asks the question, have we sought to seek the depth and intimacy of God's heart more than we have sought to seek the depth and intimacy of our own? Like, this is what the Epicureans and Stokes are doing. They're like, they want information. They want answers because they're just like looking to like self-actualize. And church, like we are called to be a different kind of people. We are called to be a people who desire knowledge because we desire the source who is the Father. We're called to be the type of people who are devoted to knowing the heart of God so we not be taken by the tide of new ideas again and again until we're so out to sea that we've lost the anchor that is the voice of God and the Spirit of God. But we don't want to just be a people of talk here. As a part of Calvary 2020 or 2030 vision, it's having goals. It's having key outcomes. And we're saying, as a church, we're going to invest our time. We're going to invest our resources in this. And here's just a few things. And some of these are still, like, very in the works. So, like, be praying into these things. But the first is this. Um, we actually want to launch a Bible institute. So this is not necessarily a seminary. 
Like we're still figuring out what this means, but this is having people who have been educated in the word of God, who have preached or pastors who are ordained to come teach on different topics so that we, again, would just not be without excuse. Like if there's something we wanna know about the Bible, if it's the Old Testament, if it's generals, whatever it is, like we wanna be a people who present those things together as a community to go deeper into the word of God, to protect our hunger for the word of God. The second is this, we wanna create a comprehensive Bible resource for our church. So that starts with that webpage I talked about, but there's gonna be more things coming out. Again, we just want to be people who take this seriously and have a responsibility when it comes to teaching the word of God, to equip you, the saints, to go out into the world and teach the word of God. And then lastly, we want to double the percentage of Calvary members who engage in the Bible on a regular basis. And what's funny is like, we have no metric for this. Like we have no way to actually know this. So this is something we're saying in faith. We want to be a community of people that actually open our word, who love it, who study it. Because the truth is like, I know most people don't. And that's like, I don't even say it's okay, right? Like we wanna be a people who put like our money where our mouth is when we put this banner on our church to say like, I actually wanna know who Jesus is. Because we wanna be a people devoted to the word for the sake of ourselves, the Lord and the greater world who cherish his word and presence increasingly, who persist and question and press in when confusion and doubt comes and find the world faithful time and time and again because our God is faithful to meet us in our questions. Let's be a church who will not seek knowledge without seeking devotion to the one who holds it. So just like this next song, may the Lord find us like the disciple Mary who literally poured out her life's worth her dowry, a perfume on the feet of Jesus for the sake of acknowledging and absorbing and enjoying his presence. To be foolish in the eyes of the world, but rich in the knowledge of the heart of God. To be people who put our time, energy, and money into elevating our, word, our love for the presence and knowledge of God. So Lord, we give you our devotion.